Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. We're good on Good morning. Well, good morning, Refuge. Like Trey said, my name is Boone. I'm the lead pastor at Walk Bridge Community Church in Ferguson. Kids, elevate. I'm sorry, I don't want to put that on you. Elevate kids <laughs> and, uh, and EGC. All right. I'm so terrible at that. You are? Yeah. You, you really are. Yeah. <laughs> well, I apologize on behalf of y'all's pastor. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the first person to stand behind this podium and have to do that, right? Well, I'm glad. Thanks for uh, the invitation, Trey, and thanks for everybody who I had an co- opportunity to talk to this morning. Thanks for welcoming me into your space. Thanks for welcoming me to be a part of your worship celebration. I am excited to be here. Like Trey said, me and him been rocking for way over a decade, and typically we, we don't get, to check, get it, the opportunity to be here on Sundays because we're both working on Sundays, but today I get to be here to experience and to celebrate what the Lord is doing at Refuge. And I couldn't be more excited to be here. Why don't we give uh, Trey and the leaders here a hand because they're doing amazing and awesome work. I bring greetings from my church family back home who is about to get started real shortly. I want to show you a picture of my family. This was just from a couple of months ago. As a matter of fact, we were celebrating my wife's 50th birthday. And it was a beautiful uh, time for our family because on this day of all days, two of my adult children came and worshiped with us on that Sunday. One who lives out of town came in town to be with us on Sunday. So on this picture, you'll see it's my wife, Tequila, and I. And if that's a hard name for you, just we call her Quee. Everybody, can you say Quee? We call her Queen. And my oldest, Sean, who actually goes by Sean, that's the first time I ever heard Trey say Sean, and we'll have to have a talk about that later. I don't know where that came from. But that's my, old, my, my, my son, Sean, who's 30, my daughter, Shay, and then my daughter, Ashanti, who's a freshman in college, and my daughter, Sanaya, who's a freshman in high school. There's one child that's missing from the photograph, our 33-year-old daughter, Shawnee, she wasn't in town for the celebration. And that's a great picture. It was a great day. We went out to brunch after service. Uh, My family were all there worshiping together. My grandbaby was there that day. It was just absolutely a beautiful and wonderful day. But just like all pictures, all family photos, there's certain things that this picture doesn't show. Right? It just doesn't show. It doesn't show that me and my wife Though we've been married now for 22 years come September, 22 faithful years come September. I know it's been 22 faithful years for me. How about you, Quee? You can't lie in church, right? (laughs) But what it doesn't show is that we are, in fact, a blended family. So she came to the marriage with Shay who's 30. I came to the marriage with Sean, who's also 30. They're two weeks apart. And also came to the marriage with Uh, another daughter, Shawnee. What the picture doesn't show is that my children that I brought to the marriage, I had my very first one at 15 years old. So 
You can do the math, and, and, it, and, it, and you'll come up with the right numbers. I was 15 years old when my first daughter was born, 18 years old when my son was born. As a matter of fact, the earliest, most vivid memory I have as a child was when I was around five-ish years old, and I had to go see my mother in Dwight Correctional Facility for Women. The first vivid memory I have is going to see my mother in prison. Little did I know that that moment, that experience, that memory, that time would shape the remainder of my life in some very traumatic ways. As a matter of fact, my mom went back to prison again when I was about 15 years old and it was at that time when all hell literally broke loose in my life and I went completely insane. It was the, the fear, the helplessness, the hopelessness, the, the doubt that anyone could ever love me, the doubt that I could ever do anything product, productive in this world with my life. That's when all those seeds were sown. It was that time when I got heavily involved in gang activity and drug trafficking and I did womanizing and all the like. As I told you, I had two kids by the time I was 18 with a terrible reputation, a drug dealer, a gang beggar, and shortly after, I would find myself in jail. It was there where my son, Sean, came to see me around about the same age around about the same age that I had to go see my mom for the first time that I, that first time she was in prison. And there I was, sitting across through a glass of partition, talking to my then young son, watching him have to go through the same pain, the same trauma that I had been going through my entire life. Sometimes our stories they're riddled with our pain. They're riddled with our traumas. And sometimes, if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, if you're being honest with your stories, your story is probably a little bit different than mine, but I'm sure, but if you're honest about your story, those stories, those memories, those things that we've experienced as a part of this fallen and broken world can cause us to be doubtful, can cause us to be pessimistic can cause us, even after we respond appropriately to the call of the gospel, it can still cause us to wonder where and how does my life fit into the big picture, the big story of Jesus and him making all things new in this world. So we're going to be reading a part of, the, uh, of, of God's word today, together today. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And before we go there, I just want to remind us what Paul is doing and who Paul is addressing in this letter. Paul was actually writing this letter to a church, a church that he himself was a part of planting and establishing. And this church, however, was a multi-ethnic group of people who all were believers, who came from different parts of town, who came from different worlds, different worldviews, different ideology. They had their own separate idols, their own separate sin patterns etc. But they were all called into this community by the power of the gospel and Paul was writing this letter to encourage them and this is just an excerpt of, of an excerpt what we're going to be reading today and he's helping them realize that the reason why they can move forward together 
Even though their, their, their differences were real, even though the things that they divided over were true, some of that stuff went back for hundreds of years, all of that was true, but he wanted them to realize that they could move forward together as a community with trust and vulnerability, and it was not because of anything that they were going to be able to do in and of themselves. It was going to simply be because of what God had done through all of them by his grace. And so here we're picking up on this on this a part of this letter he's actually talking about and he's he's instructing them that the God who will one day reconcile all things back to himself. He's talking to them about they would going to be active participants. As a matter of fact, he says, I will give you the gift of the ministry of reconciliation. And so here's what's happening, and he's writing them this letter, and I'm sure like us, like me, they probably would have wondered how in the world are we going to be able to participate in something so big where the division is so real, where the hatred and the uh, amnesty between the two groups was, was, was so vivid. How are we going to ever be able to do that? And on top of all that, every person who would have been reading or hearing his letter read were also dealing with their own stuff. They were dealing with their own trauma, their own shame, their own guilt, their own sinful patterns. They were dealing with this own stuff. And so here we're picking up on these words from Paul today. And I hope that this will be relevant for us all. And before we read the scripture, before I read the scripture, I want to frame the rest of our time together around this question. Does following Jesus matter? Does following Jesus matter for me and my own story? Does following Jesus matter with me as I participate in the ministry of reconciliation as believers in Jesus Christ? Does following Jesus matter? Can my following Jesus really make a difference in a divided, hostile world? Can my following Jesus make a difference when I go to have conversations with my family and the topics of politics come up or at work around the, 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 the coffee table or at the dinner table when we're having these conversations cross generations? Does following Jesus matter as I as you, as we are struggling day in and day out with the reality of what sin has caused and what sin has cost us. So let's pick up right here as Paul is, reading, is writing this letter. And again, this is just a, a small excerpt from the letter. And I'll be reading um, verses 14 through 17 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Another one, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Does following Jesus matter? For the time I have remaining, uh, remaining, I want to hopefully point out two observations from this excerpt in this letter to the church in Corinth that I believe helps us answer that question with an astounding yes. Following Jesus does matter. The first observation I want to make from the text is I want us to be able to see together the reason why it matters. One reason why it matters is because Jesus restores his people. Jesus restores us. Jesus restores me. He restores you. He restores communities. He, he restores places. But Jesus, more importantly, he restores his people. Right there in verse number 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Now, theologians have used this this concept called union with Christ to try to explain part of this, which simply means that as believers, people of like that, like us that have been called out. And if you aren't a believer, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian this morning. We first want to say, I'm glad you're here. If you're in this room or if you're watching, we're glad that you are here. We're so excited that you trust us. Whoever invited you enough to be here or be watching today. But for some of us who do believe, we need to be reminded that Jesus restores his people. Right here in the text, it says if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, our union with Christ, because we are in right relationship with him. The Bible says that we are new. We are a new people. We are a new creation. One theologian says we are a resurrection people. And because Jesus restores his people, we can have this confidence in our union with him. And it is not based on our performance. One of the things that blows my mind, that gives me comfort, that gives me joy is to be reminded constantly and over and over again that Jesus loves me apart from my performance. And so this us being in Christ, Paul elsewhere talks about and reminds us that this is not because we've done anything good in and of ourselves. As a matter of fact, what Paul is talking about here is not how we can come or become better, more improved versions of ourselves. That's it. That is not what he's getting at. He's letting us know that because we have been saved by grace, because we have we are we're in union with Christ. We died with him. And because he was raised, we, too, are raised with him in glory. Amen to that. It goes on to say this phrase, the old has passed away. I'm still in verse number 17. The old has passed away. And this passing away of our old nature simply means that our old affections, our old way of seeing, our old way of thinking, our old way of being, our old way of experience and engaging with the world around us. There is something that is taking place now in certain areas, in certain places in our life. We see this really quickly. We see it happen really quickly. We see things passing away really quickly. But if we're being honest, there's other things in our life that we will probably struggle with until Jesus returns 
or he calls us home, whichever comes first. But this passing away is still something that we can place our, our confidence in. And we also need to be reminded that this passing away of our old self is in no way meant to try to dis be dismissive of the pain that we experienced. It doesn't dismiss that what we've been through is actually real, nor does it minimize the pain that we've caused ourselves or the pain that we've caused others. And so even though this this passing away, it, it does not necessarily in all places and in all ways take away the pain, the trauma that is associated with the sinful practices or our sinful patterns, however they look and wherever they may show up. But the old has passed away and this passing away takes place because of God's grace. And here we find our justification. Here we find that God is pardoning us, pardoning our sins. We find that God here by his grace, apart from our performance, is accepting us into into a perfect relationship with himself. And he is by his grace, apart from our performance, declaring us righteous in his sight. So I don't know about you all, but for me, that's good news. A guy with a story like mine, with a reputation like mine, a guy that has did so much damage to people who love me, a guy who sold drugs in his own community, a guy who terrorized people that look like himself in his own community. A guy who brought children in the world before I was married and before I was even a man. But that's why this is such good news. As a matter of fact, there's um, some Japanese art. Many of you may have some of this at home called Kintsugi. And this, this art is basically a part of a Japanese ideology, as a matter of fact. And what they do is they take broken pieces of pottery, they put them back together with some form of glue, and then they, they fill the cracks with gold. And so in this practice, what they're, what they're doing is, it, with this kintsugi, is, and what it literally means, golden joinery, what they're actually doing is taking things that were broken that otherwise would have been cast out and discarded, otherwise would have been useless, and they put them back together, taking careful time and attention and diligence and skill putting them back together, and they just don't stop at just putting them back together, but they overlay it in some cases with gold, the, where the cracks were, where the breaks were, they overlay it with gold, making it even more beautiful and more valuable than it was before. And so in this art, the cool thing about this is, according to the Japanese ideology, Kintsugi teaches us to embrace change and to see beauty in per perfection. To embrace change and to see beauty in perfection. Now, I know that in this life it can be hard. I know that, that it sounds like I'm just up here spitting more religious mumbo jumbo. And it sounds like I'm just trying to paint over the real divisions of our day. I'm trying to paint over the real pain, the real suffering with a broad brush of religious makes you better isms. I don't know if that's a word. Spell check kicked it out every time I tried to change it. 
So it's a word for the day. But I think one of the things, though we will, are going to disagree with a lot of the, the ideology behind this, one of the things Kintsugi helps us is to appreciate and to reflect on broken pieces in our own stories, in our own families, in our own lives, to, 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 to have a closer look at and reflect on these broken pieces and to appreciate the care the attention to the detail that is paid to something that was given up on, something that was trashed. And for me, this points to the reality that God, the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, he takes his time personally and he is willing to take the time, the care, give us the attention that we need. And it is a God who is willing to invest in his people, the broken pieces of our lives. Put them back together. But instead of using glue and gold, he uses something even more valuable. We're held together by the very blood of Jesus. And so all of us broken in different ways, some in more pieces than others, we can take confidence and we can find refuge in knowing that God has done something beautiful with us. And we no longer have to look in the mirror of shame and guilt. We no longer have to look in the mirror of, of our stories and our, our origin stories and feel so bad. We can look and say, God is doing something beautiful here. He is making me new. Does following Jesus matter? Yes, because Jesus is a God who restores broken people. He's a God who invests in broken people people. The next observation I want to make is Jesus not only restores his people, but he renews his people as well. So there's this restoration that takes place where he takes the old and he allows that to pass away. But it don't stop there. He does something even more. Not only does he put us back together for his glory, but he's also renewing us so that we can be active participants Participants in what he is doing in the world. How, how awesome, how humbling, how exciting, how challenging is that to know that God uses broken people like me. He uses broken people like you. We look at in the verse when he says, behold, make him draw our attention. Right in verse 17, he says the new has come as a new creation in Christ. Your life has been is being transformed. You are no longer bound to the sinful patterns of the past, but instead you are empowered. We are empowered. I am empowered to live a holy and a righteous life through the empowerment, the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. This newness that we all get to participate in and experience is one of the ways that God has chosen by his sovereign grace to bless the world around us. So does following Jesus matter? Absolutely. Not only does God restore us to being better than what we were before, not better versions of ourselves, but he also renews us. 
He makes our hearts new. He changes our affections. And in doing so, he's able to create a people for himself by which he can entrust with his ministry to reconcile human beings, fallen, broken human beings back to himself. And more than that, he can invite us in, recruit us, draft us to be participants in reconciling people back together as well. And so us following Jesus is more than just for ourselves, is more than just for us to have victory over our own sin. But it is in order that we would be equipped so that we can participate with God in this beautiful ministry of reconciliation. So it's not an option that we get to choose from a menu. It's not a, a something that we get to pick off of a multiple choice test. It is as believers that have union with Christ. We are called to be a part of bridging gaps between people and God and between people and people. I don't know about you all, but the part of town I live in, divisiveness is real. As a matter of fact, I think it's fair to say in my lifetime, I'm 48 years old. In my lifetime, this has probably been the most racially charged, divisive time that I've ever experienced. And it would be one thing if that was just taking place in the world out there. But unfortunately, if I'm being honest, if you're being honest, we're being honest, it's, ta it's taking place even in God's bride, even in the church. The church has been equally divided over these real hard issues. And we need to be asking ourselves the question, what does me being a follower of Jesus have to say about how I engage with the world that I'm a part of? Amen. I like what a theologian and author Soon Khan Ra says. I think he really helps illustrate this part of uh, God's story really well. He says the gospel creates new people with a new identity. Our identity is no longer defined by race, class. Or gender. I like when he says that because he, he, he reminds us that our identity no longer is, is defined by the things that typically, normally, we are, we are divided over. He goes on to say we are defined by our shared identity in Christ, uh, an identity of a God that has restored and a God that has and is renewing us. This means, he goes on to say, we must be willing to reject the old patterns of sin and brokenness and embrace a new way of living in community with one another. I'm running out of time, and so I want us to look together at ways I think we should all be thinking about how we may respond to this part of God's story. And I'll, what I'll say next is not a list of things. If you do well, you'll be a better Christian. It's not, it doesn't work that way. What I'm saying next is not something that you need to do and add to your ever growing list of how to become better. It's not going to make you a better person. It's not going to make you a better Christian. 
But I still think that as we live our life Monday through Saturday in the world, we should be asking, how does God's word transform us? How does God making us a new people? How does God uh, inviting us to be participants in his reconciling work in the world? How does that show up in our everyday lives? It's easy for us, easier for us to come together and gather, worship and sing. We all know the same songs. We know one another. We look alike. We think alike. We probably vote alike. But what happens when we leave this room? What happens throughout our weeks? And I want to just point out a few things, three or four things that I think we should be thinking about. We can be praying about as we think about how do we respond to this part of God's story. And the first thing is we need to all be reflecting intentionally, painfully, honestly and openly over our own stories. We need to be looking over our own lives. We need to do an inventory. We need to do an audit of our own heart. And sometimes that starts with us reflecting on our own stories. What does it look like? What does it cost you? When was the last time you took time out of your day to, to intentionally look into the crevices of your own heart and reflect on your story? And I think once we reflect on our stories and we spend some time doing this, and once we submit to the reality of, of God is asking us to do something about it, I think that leads to two things. One of the things I think it leads to is repentance. Because we can't reflect on our own stories and not see where our sinful patterns show up. And I want to say, and I want to admit, and I need to acknowledge, Everything that, that, that bad has happened to us now has not always been because of the poor choices that we've made. Sometimes we're simply victims of a fallen and broken world. Sometimes we're victims of the family that we were born into, the neighborhoods we grew up in, etc. The conversation around the dinner tables we grew up at. So we need to know that once we reflect on our stories, it leads us toward repentance. But not in a repentance that is just simply going to bring up emotions of shame and guilt, not stories of repentance that makes us feel worse and not better. But uh, we need to at least to repentance unto life where we are able to acknowledge the pain, but we're able to turn by God's grace to his loving embrace. It's a turning, not just from the bad that's happening, but it's the turning to all that awaits us from the promises of the gospel in this life and in the one to come. And so, so, so this reflecting leads us to repentance and it shouldn't stop there. It should also lead us to rejoicing. And sometimes that's harder as we're reflecting on our own stories and we're thinking about repentance. We're thinking about all the things that we've done and all the things we've done to others. But that should also lead us to this rejoicing in how God has been faithful with us through it all. I'm able to rejoice knowing that as a young kid in the hood, when I was gangbanging and when I was selling drugs and when I was womanizing, when I was terrorizing my own community, by God's grace, he was protecting me, not for my own sake, but for his glory. Amen. Woo! That was the first unsolicited amen. 
I should close right now. <laughs> now I just want y'all know y'all worked me hard for that, amen. <laughs> I didn't know what to do next. <laughs> but this repentance uh, and, and this rejoicing, we get to celebrate how God has been faithful in your story. So this repentance and this rejoicing, and I think once we do that and we spend adequate amount of time reflecting on our stories in repentance and, and rejoicing on the Lord's faithfulness, that would allow us to do something even more beautiful. That allows us to rest in Christ and all the benefits we receive with our union with him. All the benefits we receive by what Paul said, if any person is in Christ, no matter if they're a Jew or a Gentile, if they're African-American or Anglo, no matter if they're a Republican or a Democrat, whether they believe that in, in socialism or if they believe in capitalism, it doesn't really matter. He says if any person, regardless of what part of town you grew up in or what part of town you live in now, what high school you went to or, or what high school you can afford to send your kids to. None of that matters. He says that we are all new in him and we get together to rejoice in that reality. It is that ministry of reconciliation that brings this kid from the hood with this jacked up story and this jacked up past to, into a family. We're family, y'all. Y'all my people. It is that power that brings us together. Me standing here today is evidence of the reconciliation work and power of the gospel and how not only does it change my story, not only does it change your story, but it helps us rewrite a shared story together as brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a song, hip-hop um, star, Meat Mill. One of my favorite songs, this song is actually in my workout playlist. The song is, is titled, Oodles, Noodles, Babies, something really close to that. And he says, he says something in this song. Every time I hear it, it's, it, it, it's a reminder of what the Lord has done is and is doing in my own heart, my own story, in my own life. He says this. He says the whole hood is going crazy. Babies having babies. She was 14, acting like she's 18. Got pregnant by a brother that was locked up in them cages. And the story goes on. If you make it, you're amazing. Now, I agree with Meek Mill and part of what he's saying, if you make it from the hood, if you make it from whatever you've experienced, if you make it from a life of brokenness, of poverty, of addiction, abandonment, and abuse, you are amazing. But only thing I would add to that is we are not amazing because of anything we've done. We are amazing because of his amazing grace. Remember earlier I told you about me going to see my mom in prison, about my son coming to see me in prison, about me starting a family before I was ready, about uh, me being in jail and me selling drugs and me, and me going all those things. I'm so glad that my story didn't end there. By God's grace, I lived long enough. My mother, who's now dead, lived long enough 
where we both were rescued by Jesus. And we had the opportunity to pray together, to learn together, to worship together, to serve together at the same church, to cry together. And it's all because of his grace. That line, the hood is going crazy, maybe has maybe that is a powerful reminder of the challenge that many people like me face that live in inner city neighborhoods that's riddled with violence and poverty and, and, and you just fill in the blank. But what I love about this song, what I love about this verse in this song is that it is a reminder that God is able to restore and to renew people with all different types of stories and backgrounds. And by his power and the power of the gospel, that is, reconciles us together for his glory. Let us together celebrate all that God has done through our stories as individuals and as families and communities and churches. But let us celebrate more how God has invited us all to be a part of rewriting a new chapter in the history of the American church where we're no longer divided by ethnicity. We're no longer divided by social economics. We're no longer divided merely by zip codes, but we are united in Christ in all that he accomplished. I'm out of time. Let me pray for you. Lord bless the people. Um, today, your people that came to hear from you, I pray, Lord, that um, your word was clear and it will accomplish all that you intend for it to accomplish in the ears, the hearts, and the lives of those who hear. Lord, I pray that it produce fruit. Not a fruit from uh, works righteousness, but a fruit from us as participants in union with you and the work that you are doing. You have by your grace invited us to be a part of it. Lord, I pray blessings upon this church, the pastoral staff, the elders, and everybody who make up this body. For those who are here every week and for those who are here for the first time. Lord, keep them and bless them. We ask this in the Jesus name. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.